0: And welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, episode titled A Caribbean Mystery, where Miss Marple is drawn into a case of intrigue and black magic when a major who bragged of owning a photo of a murderer dies under mysterious circumstances. This will be a five-part series. So, sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Two murders had been committed within a few days. At least I was fairly certain that the death of Major Palgrave had been a murder, and there was no doubt that Victoria Johnson had been stabbed to death. I was beginning to have a notion as to what it was all about. But who could I turn to for help? In England, there was always Sir Henry Clinton or his nephew at Scotland Yard. But who would pay any attention to me on a remote island in the West Indies?
2: We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's A Caribbean Mystery.
3: Hey! Hey! Hey, you! You were calling me? Of course I was calling you! Who else could I have been calling, a cat? Come over here!
1: Very well, Mr. Raphael.
3: I can't come to you unless someone helps me, so you've got to come to me.
1: Oh, yes. I fully understand that.
3: Sit down next to me. Right. I want to talk to you. Something damned odd is going on on this island.
1: Yes, indeed. I entirely agree with you.
3: For goodness sake, don't start knitting. I can't stand it.
1: Very well, Mr. Raphael.
3: There's a lot of chit-chat going on, and I bet you're in the forefront of it. You... And the parson and his sister.
1: It is perhaps only natural, under the circumstances.
3: This island girl gets herself knifed and Mrs. Kendall finds her in the bushes. Might be nothing out of the ordinary. The chap she was living with might have got jealous of another man. Or he got himself another girl and they've had a row. Sex in the tropics and that sort of stuff. What do you think?
1: No, definitely not.
3: The authorities don't think so either.
1: They would say more to you than they would say to me.
3: All the same. I bet you know more about it than I do. You've listened to all the tittle tattle
1: Certainly I
4: have.
3: You know, I made a mistake about you. I don't often make mistakes about people. But there's a lot more to you than I thought there was. I mean, all these rumours about Major Palgrave and the stories he told. You think he was bumped off, don't you? I very much fear so. Well, he was. That is definite, is it? Yes, it's definite enough. I had it from Daventry. After you told Graham you thought it might be murder, he went over to Jamestown. The CID were called in, and they decided to dig up old Palgrave and have a look.
1: And what did they find?
3: That he'd had a lethal dose of something that only a doctor could pronounce properly. Apparently, the signs would be much the same as those of high blood pressure aggravated by overindulgence in alcohol. In fact, it all looked perfectly natural at first, and nobody questioned it. I knew all along he didn't suffer from high blood pressure. But I thought he'd told people that he did. Who did he tell? It's like seeing ghosts. You never meet the chap who actually saw the ghost himself. They thought he had blood pressure because of the tablets found in his room. But, and now we're coming to the point, I gather that the girl who was killed said that the bottle had been put there by somebody else and that it really belonged... To Greg Dyson
1: And the story was put about very cleverly That the Major had frequently mentioned to people That he had high blood pressure But you know, it's very easy to put about a story I've seen a lot of it in my time
3: oh, I bet you both, yes <laughs> So The girl saw something Tried a hand at blackmail And got a knife in her back
1: Yes, evidently someone couldn't afford to let her talk
3: Now I gather Palgrave spent a lot of his time talking to you, but nobody else would be bothered with him. What did he say?
1: He told me he had a snapshot of a murderer. He was going to show it to me, but he didn't. Why not? Because he saw someone. His face got very red, and he put the snapshot back into his wallet and began talking about something else. Who did he say? I've thought about that a good deal. I was sitting outside my bungalow, and he was sitting nearly opposite me, so that whoever he saw... He saw over my right shoulder.
3: Coming along the path from the creek? Yes. And was there anyone? Mr and
1: Mrs Dyson, Colonel and Mrs Hillingdon. Anybody else? I don't think so. Of course, your bungalow would also be in his line of vision.
3: So, there's a possibility that it could have been Esther Walters or my chap Jackson. Either of them might have been outside the bungalow at that moment. So, that gives us the Dysons, the Hillingdons, Esther and Jackson. Or, of course, myself. And did he say whether this murderer was a man or a woman? A man? Right. We can eliminate Evelyn Hillingdon, Lucky Dyson, and Esther. I'll tell you the first thing that strikes me, and that you don't seem to have thought of. If it's Dyson, Hillingdon, or Jackson, why didn't old Palgrave recognize him before, hm? They've all been sitting around looking at each other for the last two weeks. It doesn't make sense. I think it could. How?
1: According to Major Paul Graves story, he hadn't actually seen the man himself. It was a story told to him by a doctor, and the doctor gave him the snapshot as a curiosity. The major may have looked at it at the time, but after that he kept it in his wallet. Occasionally, perhaps, he'd take it out and show it to someone he was telling the story to. But I don't think he would necessarily recognise the man... What I think must have happened was that as he was telling me the story, he took the snapshot out, looked down at it, studying the face, and then looked up to see the same face coming towards him from a distance of about ten or twelve feet.
3: It sounds plausible, but there's something wrong. The motive's totally inadequate. Here's an old booby telling a story about another story somebody told him, all of it concerning a murder which had taken place years ago. I mean, how on earth can that concern the man in question? Yes. Nobody's going to take Palgrave's identification from a blurred-out photograph very seriously. It's the kind of identification the chap could just laugh off. There's no need to murder Palgrave. I mean, you must see that.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. That's what makes me so uneasy. That's why I could not sleep.
3: Alexia, what's on your mind? I may be entirely
1: wrong, but there could be a very powerful motive if the man was going to commit another murder. I don't get you. The story that Major Palgrave told me was about a man whose wife had died under suspicious circumstances. Then, after a certain lapse of time, there was another murder under exactly the same circumstances. Well, it does look, doesn't it, as though the murderer might be the kind of man who made a habit of the thing.
3: Oh, you mean like the Brudge and the bath?
1: So, you see, if this person had got things all lined up for a murder out here, for getting rid of another wife, and if this crime were number three or four, the major story would matter, because the murderer couldn't afford to have any similarity pointed out, so he would have to act as quickly as possible.
3: The very same night, in fact.
1: So now this man will go on with his murder as planned, and we have got to stop it. You have got to stop it, Mr Raphael. Me? Why me? because you are rich and important. People will take notice of you. They wouldn't listen to me for a moment.
3: All right, let's think this out. Which of them is it? The egregious Greg, the quiet Edward Hillingdon, or my man Jackson? Any preference?
1: I really haven't. All of them seem so very unlikely.
3: We'll take Greg Dyson first. Let's say he's going to put his dear wife Lucky out of the way. Good job, too, I'd say. But I can't see his motive. From all accounts, he's rich. He qualifies as our murderer on the death of his first wife. But why should he want to bump off Lucky? Unless, of course, he wants to marry somebody else. Any gossip about that?
1: Not that I have heard. He has a very gallant manner with all the ladies.
3: You mean he's a stoat Well... Okay, he makes passes, but uh, that's not enough. Let's go on to Hillingdon. I've an idea there's something a bit odd going on between him and his wife. You noticed it at all?
1: Oh, yes, I have. Their behaviour is perfect in public, of course, but that one would expect.
3: Well, you probably know more about these sort of people than I would. Very well, then. Everything is in perfectly good taste, but it's a probability that in a gentlemanly way, Edward Hellingdon is contemplating doing away with his wife. If
1: so, it could only be because of another woman... And I can't help feeling it's really not quite as simple as that.
3: Which leaves us with that valet of mine, Jackson.
1: He reminds me of a young man in the town clerk's office near where I live. Jonas Parry.
3: And what about him?
1: He was not very satisfactory.
3: Jackson's not wholly satisfactory either. But he suits me all right. He's first class at his job and he doesn't mind being sworn at. I wouldn't employ him in a position of trust. But I don't have to trust him. Fortunately... I'm not a man who has any guilty secrets, so I'm not a subject for blackmail. But
1: surely you have business secrets?
3: Not where Jackson can get at them. Oh, Jackson's a smooth article, but I really don't see him as a murderer. You know, the emphasis on this business is all wrong. I'm the one who wants to be murdered.
1: Mm. It depends who has reason to benefit by your death.
3: Jackson, for instance? He wouldn't get a penny.
1: And Esther Walters?
3: I'm leaving her, nothing either. Every year I live, she gets a bigger salary. My death would mean a serious financial loss to her. Whoosh. Oh,
1: she's coming now.
3: Mm, she's quite a good-looking girl, you know, but not an atom of glamour. She ought to
1: get married again.
3: Of course she ought.
1: Good morning, my dear. Good morning, Miss Marple.
3: So where the hell have you been?
1: Oh, everyone seems to be sending cables this morning. What with that and people trying to check out? But as a result of
3: all this murder business.
1: I suppose so. Poor oh, Tim, is worried to death. Well,
3: we've been discussing the murders together. Uh, grab a chair and bring it here. Maybe you can help. We started with Oak Palgrave and his eternal stories.
1: Oh, dear, I'm afraid I used to escape from him whenever I got the chance. Well, Miss Marvel
3: was more patient. Esther, did he ever tell you a story about a murderer?
1: I think he did. Or oh, he may have said, I can point you out a murderer.
3: Well, which was it?
1: I'm not sure. I think he said he'd show me a picture of someone. That's better. Did he actually show you a snapshot? No, I'm quite sure of that. He did say she was quite a good-looking woman and you'd never think she was a murderer to look at her.
3: She? He was talking about a woman? Yes. The snapshot was a picture of a woman? Yes. It can't have been.
1: But it was. He said, she's here on this island, I'll point her out to you and then I'll tell you the whole story. Who do you think it
4: was? Well, I didn't really... Well, I mean, I wouldn't like to...
3: Yay! Yeah, you told me that he spun you a yarn about these murders and that the killer was a man and that he had a picture of him that he was about to show you.
1: I thought so, yes.
3: You thought so? You were sure enough to begin with.
1: It is not easy to repeat a conversation and be entirely accurate as to what the other party to it has said. Major Palgrave told me this story and said that the man who had told it to him, this doctor, had shown him the snapshot of the murderer... But if I am to be absolutely honest, what he actually said to me was, like to see the snapshot of a murderer? And naturally, I assumed it was the same snapshot he was talking about. But I have to admit, it is possible that by an association of ideas, he went from a photograph he had been shown in the past to a snapshot he had recently taken of someone he was convinced was a murderer.
3: Women! You're all the same! You can't be accurate! you're never exactly sure of what the thing was. So where does that leave us now? Avery Hillingdon or Greg's wife, Lucky? I mean, the whole thing's a mess.
1: I have to admit that Mr Raphael had rather shaken me. Oh, not by his rudeness, of course, I could easily put up with that. But had I been wrong all along about Major Polgrave? Was it really a snapshot of a woman he had intended to show me? I thought I had better have a word with Miss Prescott. For a moment or two, we really thought of leaving here, but then we decided against it. It would not really be fair on the Kendalls. After all, it's not their fault. I feel particularly sorry for Mrs. Kendall, a very sweet girl, but not looking at all well lately. Very nervy. Of course, her family is rather odd.
4: Oh, Well, they live in our part of the world. There was a great-aunt who was most peculiar, and one of her uncles took off all his clothes in a tube station.
1: Green Park, I believe it was. Very sad. Of course, Molly's immediate family are all right. She never got on very well with her mother, though. She took up with some man, quite unsuitable, I believe. It so often happens. There was terrible trouble about it all, and it all ended up with them forbidding her to see him. But you can't do that nowadays. Girls have jobs, and they meet people whether anyone forbids them to or not. And then, very fortunately, she met Tim Kendall, and the other man faded out of the picture. I can't tell you how relieved the family was. Of course, you know so much about this place... You've been here several years running, have you not? Well, last year and two years before that. We like St Honore very much. Always such nice people here. So I suppose you know the Hillingdons and the Dysons well? Reasonably well. Major Paul Grave told me such an interesting story. He had a great repertoire of stories, hadn't he? Of course, he had travelled very widely. Oh, yes, indeed. But I didn't mean one of those stories... This was concerned with one of the people I just mentioned. He appeared to be hinting. I know what you mean. There was a great deal of talk at the time the first Mrs. Dyson died. Yes, you did mention there'd been a certain amount of gossip. (laughs) Well, you see, Mrs. Dyson's death was so unexpected. Oh? And Lucky, Miss Greatrix, I think her name was then, was a kind of cousin and she looked after her, gave her all her medicines and things like that. And, of course, there had, as I believe I told you, been goings-on between Mr Dyson and Miss Greatorex. Yes. Then there was some curious story about some stuff Edward Hillingdon got her from the kennis. Oh, Colonel Hillingdon came into it, too. Oh, yes. He was very much attracted. And lucky, Miss Greatorex played them off against one another, Gregory Dyson and Edward Hillingdon... One has to face it, she has always been an attractive woman. Though not as young as she was. But I don't quite see why Colonel Hillingdon Well, I it? suppose he was just being used as a cat's paw. Anyway, Gregory Dyson married Lucky in an almost indecently short time. But there was no real suspicion. No, oh, no, just gossip. Of course, there may have been nothing in it at all. Major Palgrave thought there was. Did he say so to you? Well, I was not really listening very closely... Did he mention anything to you? He did point her out to me one day. Lucky, he actually pointed her out? Yes. As a matter of fact, I thought at first it was Mrs Hillingdon he meant. He he wheezed and chuckled a bit and said, Look at that woman over there. In my opinion, that's a woman who's done murder and got away with it. I was very shocked, of course. The Dysons and the Hillingdons were sitting at a table quite near to us, and I was afraid they'd overhear. He he chuckled again and said, wouldn't care to go to a drinks party and have a certain person mix me a cocktail. Too much like supper with the Borgias. How very interesting. He was a very indiscreet man, and rather wicked, I think. The native children were rather frightened of him. He said he had the evil eye. The evil eye? He had a glass eye, certainly. An accident, I believe, when he was quite young. Did he by any chance mention a photograph?
4: They don't remember whether he actually... Good morning, Mrs. Hillingdon. Good morning, Miss Prescott. Good morning, Miss Marple. Good morning. I was wondering where you'd got to today. I've been to Jamestown shopping. All in your own? Oh, I didn't take Edward with me. Men hate shopping. And did you find anything nice? It wasn't that sort of shopping. I had to go to the pharmacy. See you later, no doubt. Such a nice person, Mrs Hillingdon.
1: She's not really very easy to know, is she? I mean, she's always very pleasant and all that, but one never seems to get to know her any better. One never knows what she's thinking. Perhaps that is just as well. I beg your pardon? Oh, nothing really. Only I've always had the feeling that her thoughts might be rather disconcerting. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, And now, if you will excuse me, I think I had better find out where that brother of mine has got to. Uh, Of course. For a while, I sat in my chair on the beach. Lucky Dyson was lying on her face with her blonde hair splayed over her suntan shoulders, and Evelyn Hillingdon was looking at her with an expression which made me shiver. Despite the heat of the sun, I felt suddenly cold. What was the old phrase? A goose walking over your grave? I went back to my bungalow to lie down, but I could not rest. I knew that there was no time to be lost and something must be done. But what... "'Jackson! Peering in through my window! What impertinence! Just like Jonas Perry! But why? What is he after?' "'I got up and peered cautiously through the window. Jackson was standing by the door of Mr. Raphael's bungalow. "'Then, with a quick, furtive glance, he slipped quickly inside. Why all this secrecy? What could he be after?' I put on a pair of old plimsolls and very quietly crept round Mr. Raphael's bungalow until I was under the window, and then I very slowly raised my head, just like Jonas Perry.
3: Well, what is it now?
1: Did you know
3: Jackson snoops? Doesn't surprise me. Caught him at it, did you?
1: I just happened to see him through a window. He had one of your suitcases open and was looking through your papers.
3: Must have managed to get hold of a key to it. Resourceful fellow. He'll be disappointed though. Nothing that comes upon him that way will do him a mite of good.
1: He's coming over here now.
3: Uh, Must be time for that idiotic sea dip of mine. As for you, don't be too enterprising. We don't want to be attending your funeral next. Remember your age and be careful. There's somebody about who isn't too scrupulous.
2: Evelyn? Evelyn?
4: What is it? Tim! What on earth's the matter? It's the middle of the night. What is it?
2: It's Molly. She's been taken ill. I don't know what's the matter with her. I think she must have taken something. Could you come?
4: Well, of course I will. You go back to Molly. I'll be with you in a moment. Have you any idea what it is she's taken?
2: Her sleeping pills, I think. Oh. When I
4: last saw the bottle, it was half full. I think she must have taken all of them. Go and get Dr. Graham. Oh, and While you're at it, ask one of the girls to make strong coffee, as strong as possible. I'll do that.
2: Oh, uh, sorry, Edward. But... What's happening, Evelyn? I heard you go out. Is it serious?
4: I thought you were still asleep. The silly child has been taking things.
2: How bad is it?
4: One can't tell without knowing how much she's taken. Tim thinks about half a bottle of sleeping pills. But
2: why should she do such a thing? You you don't think... What don't I think? Well, you don't think it's because of the inquiry, the police asking questions.
4: It's possible, of course. That sort of thing could be very alarming to a nervous type. Oh, I only wish there was something we could do for her.
2: Well, better wait till Dr Graham gets here. He hasn't far to come. Just as well we got to her in good time. Anyway, she probably didn't have enough to kill her. A couple of days and she'll be as right as rain. But she'll have rather a nasty time first. Who gave her these damn sleeping pills anyway? A a doctor in New York. She wasn't sleeping well. We all hand these things out much too freely these days. Instant remedies. That's what people demand now. Nobody tells young women who think they've got insomnia to get up and eat a biscuit or write a couple of letters and go back to bed. I bet if you ask Miss Marple what she does if she can't sleep, she'd tell you she counted sheep going under a gate.
4: Uh-huh.
2: So, you've opened your eyes at last. What have you been doing to yourself, Molly? Uh-huh. Why did you do it, Molly?
4: Why is Evelyn here? Shh. Tim came and fetched me.
2: You're going to be all right now, Molly. But don't do it again. I'm sure she didn't mean to. She just wanted a good night's sleep. Isn't that so, Molly? No. You mean you took them on purpose? Yes. Why? Why, Molly?
4: Afraid.
2: Afraid? Afraid of what? Better let her be. Is it the police? Because they've been bullying you, asking you questions.
4: I want to go to sleep.
2: By far the best thing for you. Come on, Mrs Ellingdon. We'll leave her in peace.
4: I don't mind staying, if it'll be of any help. No. Just Tim...
2: I'm here, Molly. I'll look after you.
4: You're sure there isn't anything else I can do?
2: I don't think so. She'll be better left alone with her husband now. But possibly tomorrow, when he's got the hotel to run, I think someone should be with her then.
4: Do you think she might try again? One never knows in these cases.
2: Actually, I would think it's most unlikely.
4: I always thought she seemed such a happy girl. And then it was the night that Victoria was killed. I ran into Molly down by the beach. She was crying quite hysterically. She told me she was frightened of people watching her, of voices and footsteps. And then she said that she'd been having blackouts, times she couldn't account for, when she'd suddenly find herself in a different place wearing different clothes with no idea how she'd come to be there.
2: Thank you for telling me that, Mrs. Hillington. They are very definite indications of some kind of deep-seated trouble. I'll have a word with her husband in the morning. I just can't think of anything or anyone that she could be frightened of. The police upset her a bit, but... It may very well go much further than that. There wasn't anything that happened in England before you were married? Nothing that I know of. She didn't get on with her family very well... Her mother was a bit of an eccentric. Uh, Was there any sign of mental instability in her family? It would be better to tell me, Tim, if that is the case. Well, yes, there was, I think. Nothing serious, but there was an aunt or someone that was a bit batty. But you get that kind of thing in almost every family. Quite so. And you're sure there was no one else before you came along who might have threatened her or given her genuine cause to be afraid? Molly was involved with another man before she met me. Her parents were very much against it. I think she stuck to the chap more out of defiance than anything else. And then, when I came along, suddenly he wasn't so important anymore. And this man didn't make threats of any kind against Molly? No, I'm sure he didn't. She would have told me. Now, there's another thing. Apparently your wife's been having what she describes as blackouts passages of time when she can't account for her actions. Did you know about that?
0: No. No,
2: I didn't. Well, I can only advise you most strongly to take her to see a good specialist. You mean a mental specialist, I suppose. A neurologist, a psychiatrist, someone who specialises in what the layman calls nervous breakdowns. Get advice about her, Tim, and get it as soon as you possibly can.
1: Of course, we all got to hear about it soon enough. And I couldn't help wondering whether there was some link between the strange terrors that had driven Molly to attempt her own life and the deaths of Major Polgrave and the girl Victoria. Was Molly somehow involved, perhaps unwittingly, in what had happened? Was she perhaps the key to the whole mystery? (laughs)
2: In part four of Agatha Christie's A Caribbean Mystery, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield, Mr. Raphael, George A. Cooper, Dr. Graham, John Rowe, Miss Prescott, Jenny Lee, Esther Walters, Yvonne Edgel, Evelyn Hillingdon, Carolyn Jones, Edward Hillingdon, Christopher Wright, Molly Kendall, Alison Pettit, Tim Kendall, David Thorpe. The Caribbean Mystery is dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams.